When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are recording with Mr. Dick Russell on Sunday, July 23rd, 2023 at 4.07 p.m. Eastern Time to talk about your book, The Real RFK Jr. The link to that book will be in the description. You can buy it on Audible. And I hope, I mean, I think the first thing is I would have to first do all the good deeds. But I hope one day somebody writes a book called The Real Tommy Kerrigan that puts me in the same golden shining light as this book puts rfk in and um i mean just fantastically well done and really as we were just talking about beforehand boils down to getting quiet listening to god and finding that very gentle thread and it telling you which way to go but with that dick could you please introduce yourself sir yeah tommy thanks very much for having me on your podcast i uh i'm a writer that's pretty much all i've ever done um I've tried my hand at carpentry for a couple of years, and that didn't work out so good. So uh, the only thing I really know how to do is uh, what I've been doing. And started out as a sports writer years ago. I was with Sports Illustrated magazine. That was my first job out of college. And and uh, then over the over time, I've branched out. Um, you know, into first of all, I worked for well, I worked for TV Guide magazine as a staff writer for a while in the late '70s. And then I got into the environment and wrote dozens of articles on environmental issues uh, in the 80s and 90s. And in recent years, I've been doing books, and I've done 15 now, um, starting in 1992 with one about the Kennedy assassination called The Man Who Knew Too Much, and then lots of different subjects since then. So we can we can talk about all that if you want, but my latest is, yeah, The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior, came out about a month ago now, and... Uh, you know, I'm really hoping that your listeners will pick it up. I mean, it's it's an attempt to really show who this guy is, who I've known for a long time. I've known Bobby since 1998. We're friends. Um, we've worked together on different things. But um, he didn't, you know, ask me to do this biography. Um, and I started working on it about a year ago uh, because I was just so upset with the profiles of him in the media and the censorship that he was undergoing for his his controversial views, I guess you'd say, on public health issues, including what was going on with with the coronavirus and in the pandemic. And so, you know, he had an amazing environmental record, uh, as probably a lot of your listeners may know. But uh, I mean, just incredible. He was one. Of the, he was the top envir- environmental lawyer in this country for years and years, and that's how I got to know him. And I wanted to get across. Not just that, but, you know, where he came from, how he became uh, the man who's today running for president of the United States as a Democrat. And that wasn't happening when I started the book. This is not a mm-hmm. campaign endorsement book or something. Uh, I think it's a real portrait of him, though, and uh, of somebody that, yeah, admittedly, I, I greatly admire. I think, um, you know, I, I do like the humanizing aspects of it. And I think his his battle with with substances and getting into sobriety is probably the thing that can allow us other mortal humans who aren't, you know, don't have the last name Kennedy, is that you, but you can still identify with it. And how 
you don't want to change if you don't have to. If you're if right. you're flying high, you don't have to. But he mentions, or you mention, kind of uh, the little things of if I wake up five minutes before the alarm, do I get up now, or do I sit there with my thoughts? If I take a shirt off the uh, the coat hanger and one of the metal ones falls on the ground, do I slam the slam the closet door shut and go? That's you know. I'm above that. That's for someone else to pick up or, you know, another time. And these things that you wouldn't really expect to come from a discussion about sobriety, but nonetheless, it does sort of, you know, know God and be still and know that I am God. And from that, all things flourish in a, in a manner that really polishes every aspect of your life. Could you, could you maybe touch on that a little more? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a central part of the book of the real RFK Jr. and a part that he really wanted emphasized because he's really been through it. I mean, you could imagine he was 15 years old when his father was killed. He, he was a 10 when his uncle was assassinated. And obviously the whole family was devastated by this. He had, you know, 10 brothers and sisters and, and uh, it was what it was tough for all of them, but he, he really went through it. I mean, through a period of a long period of anguish and um, he was a mess, you know, and, and he, he took off uh, when he was like 16, uh, traveled, you know, went out to the West Coast, started uh, just hopping freight trains with mm-hmm. hobos, yeah. cooking with them and then, you know, outside and and uh, went to Haight-Ashbury uh, back in the days of the hippies. I mean, and he didn't want anybody to know even who he was, you know, he didn't come out as a Kennedy, you know, he was like, I'm just this guy, you know, who's a, who's really screwed up like you are. Yeah. And I want to get to know you. And then he, he was lucky. He had a he had a mentor, uh, a man named Lem Billings, an older man who had been very close to his uncle. They'd even they to JFK. They'd gone to school together at Choate, you know, back in the 1930s. And Lem was very close to the family. Had, you know, spent lots of time in the White House uh, when JFK was president and. When Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, his father was killed, he really took Bobby Jr. under his wing, and and I think probably saved his life. I mean, you know, he he took him to East Africa, uh, to part, you know, on the Serengeti Plain there, because Bobby loved animals. I mean, he'd growing up, wanted to be a veterinarian, mm-hmm. you know, and surrounded by animals and raising falcons, and um, and Lim, then Lim had a ranch in, in Colombia. So he brought Bobby there two summers in a row to live, you know, among indigenous people and just, you know, get to know what that was like. So as tough as it was for him, it was also really the beginnings of an education in a whole new way than he'd had growing up. And he also, at the same time, he was a very high functioning drug addict. And, uh, you know, he, he was going into Harlem to score heroin, uh, survived all that. 1983, which is like after 14 years of this, um, he had a, you know, he just about OD'd on an airplane. And um, and he went into rehab and had what the kinds of experiences that you describe, you know, he suddenly, he discovered, uh, well, he had a lot of interesting synchronicities, but he discovered a psychologist that people may have heard of probably named Jung, Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. And he read his his work and, and uh you know, thought about how, you know, kind of the magic of life and, and things that present themselves to you and you make these choices to you, you go with it or not. And among those were just the, the kinds of things you described. And they were very simple 
things in life that that he realized that he had just never paid much attention to when he was growing up and probably never had to, you know. But um, he went into AA and he has stayed in AA all these years and still goes to meetings on a regular basis. I mean, more than once a week, sometimes every day. Um, he knows that if he didn't have that, it could be easy for him to slip back, you know. He's been sober ever since. And in the course of that, he's really helped a lot of people. I mean, probably thousands, you know, who've heard him speak at these meetings. Um, you know, it's all anonymous. So, you know, he's just another guy, but he's had quite an experience to talk about. And, and he's been willing to do it. And, you know, you think about what's going on in the country today. I think 100,000 kids died last year of fentanyl overdoses. And, and, you know, I don't think there's anybody who's been to the bottom like he has and is more qualified in a political you know, establishment way that could address the crisis and, and help parents and, and young people who are in that, that situation. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Beautifully said. And um, there's some similarities. I, there was a book, I think it was 2018. I read it 2019. I never finished it, but it was about FDR. And I need to mm. go back and finish it. It was like a 30-hour tome. And I've started a couple books like that over the years, and I have made a note to go back one by one and reconquer them and finish them. I think The Arms of Krupp, uh, KL by Nicholas Voschman. So I will get I will get back to that one and, and conquer it. But it's it's FDR kind of growing up in I mean, a pretty wealthy guy, and you know going to private school in Groton, Connecticut, and but always being instilled you know from his parents to understand just how fortunate he was. That he that he yeah. didn't live a normal life, you know. To, a summer home in downtown Manhattan is not normal, right? <laughs> no, especially in like 1905 or whatever. Um, and you do kind of see that specifically the day his uncle was killed. When you say his father kind of meets with all of them and writes them a letter and says, "Remember all the great things about him," and understand yeah. that. I think I think his father RFK is saying like, "I've really never known a bad day until now." Mm-hmm. Could you maybe illuminate it on that where it's you do and not to make a political connection because I'm sure some people love FDR and some people hate him. That's not the point. But there is that similarity between understanding that, you know, he, he it is a dynastic family and yeah. he but he was he was he was raised in a manner that he was to understand that. Yeah. And, and he was raised in a, in a manner that he never forgot in the sense that, you know, He's a, a fierce advocate for free speech and debate today. Um, and he's been a victim, as we can talk about later, of, of uh, unbelievable censorship. But at the same time, when he grew up, you know, they would sit around the dinner table every night and his father would encourage these basically, you know, verbal fights. Mm. Let, let's uh, take different sides of an issue, which his own, Robert Kennedy, their father, Joseph uh, uh, Kennedy, had done when they were growing up. 
and and you know they would back then it was World War II and okay what about fascism and what do you think of Mussolini and should America get into this war, and then you know when when Bobby was young you know the Vietnam War came up and was starting to be a big issue, and he wasn't quite draft age yet but you know they they talked about those things at the dinner table and it's really interesting because it's carried it's like a family tradition in a sense that it's carried on you know and. I mean, I know, I, I, I know Bobby's kids. Uh, he has six kids. And um, I know all of them, some better than others. But they're, they're all, you know, grown now. One of them, the youngest is 21. And he does the same thing with them. And, and there's a really wild story, which is that um, Connor, who's his oldest son, and I've known Connor since he was, I don't know, you know, five years old. And uh, I, there's an interesting story about that, too. But uh, Connor... Uh, had a very different view on the uh, conflict, the war in Ukraine, than Bobby Jr. does, than his father does. And so they, they got into this at the dinner table. And eventually, Connor decided, you know, he was in law school uh, on the East Coast. He said, if I believe in this so strongly that, you know, the, the people of Ukraine are suffering so badly and this is a terrible thing that's happened, uh, which it is, of course, but I mean, if he feels it that strongly, then I'm, he said, I'm going to do something about it. So he went and joined the, you know, a foreign legion, basically. He went off and fought with the army in Ukraine, never told the Ukrainian army. He never told his dad what he was going to do. All he said was, uh, I'm going to disappear for a while. I know that you'll be concerned about me, but, you know, I'll be okay, I think, and, and uh, I'll be back. So the only reason that Bobby Kennedy knew anything about this was they found these credit card bills from not from Ukraine, but from, I don't know, Czechoslovakia or something. Well, they knew he was somewhere over there. And he went and, you know, he was, uh, he knew how to shoot and he became a you know, machine gunner with one of those uh, organizations. And then he showed up one day, you know, he had a girlfriend in, in Brazil, I think. And, and he, uh, he called his dad when he got back and he said, uh, Dad, I was fighting with the Ukrainian army, and and I'm back, and and wow, his his father said, "Oh, I'm glad you didn't tell me, you know, but I'm but I'm sure glad you came back, and and I I respect you greatly for what you did." So, I don't know, it's just a story of, you know, this generational continuity that I think is uh, it's really important part of of the Kennedy family and who he is. Could you maybe go into the importance that uh, Bobby places on the divisions in the United States? Because it's so easy to, as he, he always says, the leaders can, you can tap into our kind of darkest instincts, xenophobia, fear, hatred for the outside, anything that might dismantle our, our current way of life versus the overwhelmingly massive number of, of similarities we have from the farthest most left to the farthest most right person that we are we really are destroying ourselves no external enemy is doing a job that nearly as well as we're doing to ourselves and could you maybe touch on that because he is really the only person i mean i think i love the when he's on that interview and they, they try to catch him into something like, you know, something about Donald Trump. And he's basically like, I'm not going to speak ill of him. I'm not, you're not, you're not going to get me on these. He's like, he's a good man that's fighting for his country and I'm fighting in a different way. But he's like, you're not going to pull me into just this, this mudslinging because it gets us nowhere. Yep. And it's what we've been doing forever. Could you, could you maybe touch on that? 
Oh, it's a huge reason. It's the reason, really, why he decided to run for president. Mm. You know, he, um, like I say, he wasn't doing this when I started writing the real RFK Jr. a year ago, but I was interviewing him uh, a number of times, of course, in the, as I was researching the book, and and I already knew him, so you know, I'd go out to the house and we'd hang out, and and he he one day he said, you know, he said I've, I've decided I and we hit, I knew that he had had many opportunities when he was in, in younger years. He's sixty nine now. Still in great shape, though, by the way. And goes to the gym every day, you know, and he's, 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 he's buff, he's right? He's buff, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, he'd had a lot of opportunities to run for office. Um, as He could have been governor of New York or U.S. senator, I mean, a long time ago. And he never did it uh, for different reasons, you know. But he had family things he was working out. He, he was raising these kids and trying to do it right, six kids, right? And... Um, but he told me, he said, you know, he said, I think I'm going to I'm going to have to I'm going to have to run for president as a Democrat. He said, because I don't see anybody else who, who knows enough about where the country's at and is willing to speak the truth about it that can bring people together at the same time. Like, I feel I can is what he said. That's something like that. And so he announced in, in April and this the slogan of the campaign is heal the divide, which means, you know, he said, I mean, he's talked about it and we are, we are in it. We're in the worst, you know, the, the least civil environment, the worst political climate that we've been in, you know, since the civil war, people on both sides can't talk to each other anymore. And they, you know, accuse each other of, of everything, right. In the most vitriolic ways. And, and um, so he, he's somebody who, as I was researching the book, uh, I realized how, much he'd been able to get things done by working across party lines, that he was never a standard, you know, I'm a liberal Democrat, that's it, uh, guy. He worked, you know, with uh, Republican upstate farmers, you know, to get the watershed agreement to happen in New York, a landmark agreement to protect the city's water supply. Um, he worked with... This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Commercial fishermen on the Hudson River and and farmers in in North Carolina whose water was being poisoned and and, uh, and you know lots of and he with another guy he was a Republican businessman uh, who had this big hydraulic this uh, natural gas company right he was the, the CEO of it but he knew that the things weren't right the safety of what's called fracking uh, from you know bringing the, these gases out of this out of this, these wells and that people were getting you know people were getting Put on their water faucet sometimes they catch on fire right remember the movie Gasland? Mm-hmm. anyway so he got together with this guy and they they got fracking banned in the state of new york again you know working across party lines so he knew how to do that because i mean you see now in the campaign he's probably got more support from independents and even a lot of republicans than he does so-called liberal democrats who just on you know who kind of the big media just feeds off each other and, and accuses him of being crazy, uh, conspiracy theorist, uh, anti-vaxxer is the big one, of course. And uh, none of those things are true. And um, so 
you know, he's up against a lot, but he's somebody who he knows how divided the country is and he knows that we're not going to make it as a democracy if that continues. So I hope that answers your question. Mm. Um, he speaks uh, towards the end of his interview with Joe Rogan about, you know, his, his father and his uncle dealing with, with the Cuban Missile Crisis and how, yeah. I mean, they really were getting strong-armed by by Curtis LeMay, by the heads of the intelligence community, with with no no light suggestions, you know. On the on the softest end, we need a full military invasion. On yeah. the other end, we got to hit it with a thermonuclear warhead or a couple. And it didn't come out until the 90s that we found out that there were functioning warheads on there and that the Soviets had given the Cuban, the field commanders, autonomy to use them. Would have been the end of the world. It yeah, would, we wouldn't be here. We would. It would have. It absolutely. Sixty sixty two would absolutely have escalated to full. I, th- I think we were doing Operation Chrome Dome at the time. Our bombers would have gone right into Soviet territory. Their subs oh, yeah. would have come off the east and west. It would be the end of the world. Period. And yep. cooler heads prevailed. And by cooler heads, I mean JFK and RFK. He's he talks towards the end of Rogan's interview about you know what is going on with Ukraine, but also saying that you know we have to understand you have to take a cold hard look at the permanent war industry in this country, and they're never going to present a war. And I'm not making light of what's going on in Ukraine. I've interviewed refugees. I I get it. I get that. I don't get it. Right. I've I've lived a life of 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 wonder and opportunity in this country. But they've never served up a war that looks bad, right? Korea, not sure. Nam, sure you're gonna have you know, you know, kind of opposition, or you know, invasion of Afghanistan, invasion of Iraq. It's always served up in like, you know, if you're not if you're not for this, you're a pacifist, or you're anti-American, mm-hmm. or we gotta yeah. go build schools for the, the 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 boys of Baghdad, and that's not why we're there. That's not why we're there, and that doesn't mean that what's going on there isn't a, a sad, heartbreaking, you know, situation. But you have to understand just what is the dominant force in this country, and that's what sitting President Dwight D. Eisenhower said. It's the military-industrial, co- and thirty years before him, you had Smedley Butler say it. So he, yeah. he said it's a war is a racket. You're doing it for you know you're doing it for Wall Street. You're doing it for what are dull banana, dull fruit. Could you maybe go into his his really? I think the only only person to actually point out the eight hundred pound fire breathing elephant in the room of the military industrial complex. Oh yeah, and he he knows a lot about it. I mean, yeah. firsthand from the time he was a kid, and and he he knows how close we came to annihilation and what it took. It, it also got his his uh, uncle killed. Um, by the by, these forces within the military-industrial complex that, you know, wanted to main, maintain the status quo and, and actually sub- believed themselves, of course, wrongly, that JFK was a traitor for trying to make peace. You know, with the uh, first say, we're not okay. We're not going to invade Cuba. We're not going to try and get rid of Castro. The CIA had been trying to kill Castro, and Kennedy's were aware of this in the beginning of his administration. And also, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do something with with Khrushchev and the and the Russians and and JFK made this amazing speech at American University in the summer of '63 that outlawed nuclear testing in the atmosphere. 
That was another thing. If we would continued to have that, can you imagine the air that we'd be breathing today? I mean, we wouldn't, we might not be. So, you know, they, they did these things and, and young Bobby was aware of it and has also studied that era a lot, you know, in the years since. And so he doesn't come out of nowhere on this. And, and, uh, you know, he's, he knows that the military industrial complex is as strong, if not stronger than in a sense it ever was. We may not have as crazy people as Curtis LeMay uh, all the time, but, but, um, you know, it's still in, in control. Uh, there is a deep state, uh, in a, in a sense that is, uh, controlling a lot of things. And he just feels like the Democratic Party, and I think he's right, has gotten so far away from the, the values and, and the peace, you know, generation that the Kennedy family represented in the 1960s. I mean, here we are, you know, pouring, you know, billions of dollars into the Ukraine situation. He, Bobby feels, you know, if he was president, he'd he would, he could bring the, or maybe not just he, but the Russians would come to the table. They wanted to in the beginning. And it, it was actually the U.S., according to what Bobby has spoken about, that, you know, sort of escalated the conflict and allowed it to continue, first of all, by putting, you know, uh, all these NATO troops, uh, uh, which we said we'd never do, through 14 different countries close to the Russian border. So it's not that Putin was justified and Bobby Kennedy does not, you know, think Putin's a great man or something. I mean, he thinks he knows he's a, he's a, you know, maniac, maniacal guy. But at the same time, you know, I, I, he would he would talk to him, <laughs> and just like you know, he, he was very upset not too long ago that we weren't talking to the Chinese. Now that's begun to change a little bit recently, uh, with uh, Secretary of State Blinken going over there and talking to Premier Xi and like that. But it's all about kind of dialogue because it was really in the missile crisis. The secret in, for many, many years, the correspondence between mm-hmm. Premier Khrushchev and President Kennedy and the relationship that they developed that led to the possibility that we could head off, they could head off nuclear holocaust. And they did. And they, uh, when, when, uh, when JFK was assassinated, uh, the stories are that Khrushchev just broke down and mm-hmm. wept. And then Jackie Kennedy wrote a beautiful letter to Khrushchev of appreciation about, you know, what what their relationship had been. Khrushchev didn't make it that long either. I mean, he was deposed by those military people in his own country by the fall of 1964. So, you know, this is a situation that existed then. And, and uh, I just think that uh, there's a lot to be said for the kind of uh, overtures for peace that that Kennedy, you know, would at least try to make, and uh, like his, like his, his uncle and his father did. I mean, his father came into the presidential race in 1968, uh, was given no chance initially. He challenged a sitting president at the time, LBJ, who had escalated the Vietnam War to half a million Americans over there, uh, and, and Eugene, McCarthy, Eugene McCarthy had come in to protest that. But then suddenly Bobby entered the race, and and when he won the California primary the night he was killed, uh, he would likely have been the next president of the United States, and we'd have a very different country today if he if he won. One of the reasons why I love RFK Jr. so much is kind of everything you just mentioned. He is more aware of the forces at play, and he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat it. It's no. not. You know, you'll hear some politicians be like, well, listen, the deep state's a conspiracy. Sure, there are entrenched interests. 
Oh, he'll straight yeah. up say on an interview, like the Central Intelligence Agency killed my father and my uncle. What did you do? Just dead, looky dead in the eye, like feet planted. Like that's what they did. And yeah. I think the average person is more aware of that now. I mean, I think it was, who was it? It was one of those, I can't remember his name. You'd see some, crap, what's his name? Some pseudoscience, not pseudoscience, but kind of pseudo, Sam Harris. He said on an interview, he was like, you know, he's like, Bobby Kennedy said that the CIA killed his father. He's like, this is the kind of guy we're dealing with who believes this stuff. And it's like, dog, anyone with a functioning brain looks at this and goes, yes, of course he was. He absolutely was. How much of, so this is kind of why I admire him. I don't even really know if there's a question here, if it's just a statement. But that's why I, I admire him is it's not this rosy like we're gonna go do it and take the hill and it's all gonna i mean he's looking into the to the jaws of death you know yeah. had an 800 billion dollar a year military industrial intelligence pharma complex he's just about stepped on every toe imaginable right he's he's gone out of his way to 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 anger them all and he's still just walking directly into the hellfire kid yeah Again, I don't really know if there's a question in there. I think it's just my own admiration, if you want to riff on that. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, you know, I think the, there's a couple things I'd like to say sure. about that. One is that they're, I think the establishment is terrified of him because they haven't seen anybody come along like this who he doesn't really have political ties in a sense. I mean, he's, not, he's never been in the, you know, the held public office. So in that sense, he's free of all those kinds of things. You know, of course, he has to raise a lot of money to run for president, which he's doing. But he's raising it from people who are seeing that this guy is he's willing to tell the truth and take risks, put himself out there, you know, for what he what he sees has happened. And of course, it does go back to the assassinations of his his uncle and his father, you know, initially. And I know a lot about those, too. I, I wrote several books on the assassination of President Kennedy. Um, before I knew Bobby. I mean, you know, it wasn't like that was the basis of our friendship. Sure. But we were working together around the environment. But, uh, but you know, I know a lot about it, and um, we've talked about it in recent years. For a long time, um, I never even brought up the subject because uh, our relate. that wasn't, like I say, it wasn't our relationship. Um, we were working on environmental issues together, and uh, I didn't know how he felt about it. And, in fact, until, I think, around 2008 or 2009, he... He read a book, not my book, but, you know, the book by Jim Douglas called JFK and the Unspeakable. And it laid out, you know, what that era was about in the early 60s when President Kennedy and, and Bobby Kennedy made so many enemies because they were changing the status quo. Mm. And because, interestingly, they were, JFK was started out as a real cold warrior and then he was willing to, to grow in office, to change, to uh, see that there was something bigger than his you know, ideologies that he'd held on to about the Cold War. So, you know, I think Larry Kennedy Jr. has this has this as well. And um, and he's not afraid to talk about it. And it's true. I'll, I'll briefly mention the assassination of his father, too, because he took a really huge step. Think about this. A few years ago, remember the day he told me he was going to do it? We were we were out together and uh, he said, I'm going to go see Sirhan in prison tomorrow. And I said, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, could, I was speechless because Theron's the accused murderer of his father, right? And and they were going to go see He was going to go see him. And and he did. 
And he already knew a lot about this, but when he met Sirhan, first of all, Sirhan was terribly re regretful that he was in the pantry that night in the Ambassador Hotel. He did fire shots, there's no doubt about it. He hit other people, including one of Bobby Kennedy's senior and junior's friends, Paul Schrade, who recently passed away. He was an amazing, you know, union guy. And but Sirhan did not kill his father. Sirhan fired from from the front, and none of those bullets hit Senator Kennedy. Mm -hmm. He was shot and, and killed from behind, and by likely by a security guard, so-called, mm -hmm. who was standing there. And Sirhan has no memory of going yeah. into that pantry, which is pretty interesting, too, because, you know, another thing that people may have forgotten or they don't even know about is that the, the CIA and in particular, but the military too were doing experiments mm -hmm. starting right after World War II on uh, how to create assassins. Yes, through mind mind manipulation. Through, through it was called MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. That was the program in the CIA, and you know, it was how do you use hypnosis or drugs to influence people to do a dark deed and have no recollection of it. So, is that what happened to Sirhan? I would argue yes. And there's pretty good evidence that he was triggered by a code word uh, by a girl in a polka dot dress mm -hmm. in that pantry that night that brought him into the kitchen where he just suddenly began to fire. And he had superhuman strength, by the way. Mm. Uh, Rayford Johnson and Roosevelt Greer, I think, talked about, you know, they were big, they were like athletes, you know, and they, they could not get the gun away from Sirhan. He was like, you know, superhuman for a minute there. So he was... It was a hypnotic command, mm. and pretty that's pretty scary stuff. And I don't think um, I think there's a lot of denial about that in the American general public, and certainly in the media. Uh, they just don't want to go there, you know, because if you start talking about that publicly, um, you got to question a lot of things, a lot of things that have happened in this country since. It's an event horizon. It's a, it's a singularity that you approach, and yeah. As comedian Tim Dillon, he's this funny fat guy who just also ha so happens to love like Cold War history. It's a great point. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah. Well, he goes, once you realize he's talking about Sirhan Sirhan. He goes, once you realize Sirhan Sirhan has no recollection of it. At the same time, they were doing things like MK Ultra. He goes, oh yeah, they might also start a fake war. They might overturn Roe v. Wade. He goes, he goes, yeah. they might be capable of this. But yeah, man, it, it, that's a it's a dark closet that no one wants to look into. Because even the military-industrial complex, it might take you a while, but people can warm up to it. They're like, all right, there's some money overlapping with military, overlapping with the State Department, and you knock over a government, and then you got to rebuild it, and then the big multinationals. And some people, you know, warm up to that. But the deeper you look into it, you know, Mongoose, Monarch, MKUltra, I mean, Poisoner-in-Chief about uh, Sidney Gottlieb, or... Uh, blitzed by Norman Oler. I mean, really going down the rabbit hole. It's yeah. an odd, it's an odd place to go, because you know, weird scenes inside the canyon by Dave McGowan. All these things, it starts to get you know like X Files music, where the military industrial complex starts to seem quaint. I mean, mm. they're, they're it's all the same thing, but. Yeah, man, the things they were doing back then, and it didn't stop. 
That's another thing. No. It's, we go, the, the things they were doing back then, huh, those were some silly guys. Anyway, and it's like, no, no, no. Why would they have stopped? Why wouldn't they have perfected it? And yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a rabbit hole people don't want to go down. And then when an indiv- individual like myself or yourself goes down it, you know, you start sure. talking out loud at a at a dinner party, and you know, people start kind of <laughs> looking away, and they're like, "Anyway, so yeah. you know, the Red Sox are on a real tear this year." And it's like, "No, listen, they're giving psychedelics to foreign nationals to wipe their brains so they shoot, you know, candidates." And it's like, "All right, Tommy, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna hit the bars. Yeah. You should maybe get a cab, right?" <laughs> but that's kind of what yeah, happens. Exactly. You have yeah. to, but you have to examine it fearlessly. This is what yeah. they were doing. Yep, it 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 was and. You know, and I guess the question arises with that. Um, so how when it's when things that have happened are so dark and mm. nefarious and evil, really? I mean, we're talking evil. Yeah. Then um, how do you still, you know, see the light in a sense? You know. Yeah. Well, I think first first of all, the the truth I believe can in a, you know this phrase, the truth can set you free, right? And and if you shed light on these things in a real way. Maybe there's a healing that can really take place, but as long as there's such denial uh, of, of a coup d'etat that happened 60 years ago now, and a downward slide of uh, this country into, you know, where we are today, ever since the series of events, you know, we don't have to go into all of them, but it, there is a pattern that you can see if you really start to study this history, and it's a grim pattern, but also, you know, it's not hopeless. I mean. It's not hopeless because there's still there's still something called I don't know called it's spirit or maybe it's the American spirit you know it's it's a it's something that can be drawn upon and revitalized and that I really honestly believe is what Robert Kennedy Jr. is trying to do mm-hmm. and what I try to show in the the real RFK Jr. is is examples of that you know that he's uh, He's shown through his environmental career and his willingness to, you know, really bring himself up. You know, I mean, the guy has been to the bottom, you know, and and he, and yet he sees a light. You know, he sees something that, that was that could be again. That he's, you know, he's he's really moving into. Um, he's talking about the future. He's talking about our kids and our grandkids and what kind of a world in America are they going to live in, and drawing upon calls himself a Kennedy Democrat and drawing upon those values. He wrote a book called American Values. It's a wonderful book about what he, you know, learned from his family through the years um, that he can impart, you know, and, and try to get across, starting with the truth and looking at the hard truth about where we are as a country and what is our past really that has led to this place. And, you know, you got to, I think you got to admire that. I certainly do. Absolutely. You know, and I've said it multiple times. I do. It's, um, yeah, I think the silver lining in it is once you realize it's not just dark or greedy. Right, the military-industrial complex is dark and greedy, but you 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 can't you understand it on some level. You're like, yeah, it's a it's a racket, it's a it's a cartel. It doesn't make it good, but that's not mm-hmm. necessarily anything new, right? You're like, yeah, right. human greed going for money. It, sure, doesn't make it good, but you get it. Once you start and get into the no pun intended, but the mind bending stuff of what they were doing, mm-hmm. it goes past greedy and cartels. Like this isn't, this isn't like J.P. Morgan and like Rockefeller, like Standard Oil. Like oh, those robber barons. Yeah. This is. I mean, they talk about in Poisoner in Chief, 
by I think it's by by Stephen Kinzer. I mean, they yeah. talk about taking Viet Cong people and 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 putting little like radio transceivers in like the base of their skull and trying to get them to fight each other, and it wouldn't work. So they would just throw them out of a plane. You're dealing yeah. with evil. You're not dealing with you know you're Scrooge McDuck like oh he just wants even more gold that pesky no it's like oh no we're you're we're kind of looking at Satan in so many ways you you look and then when you realize what also they were doing is well, a lot of it had to do with with uh they would they would operate and they would test on kids kids from American like psychiatric wards yeah you you start to you're you're de- you are dealing with pure evil I'll tell you an interesting story about the Poisoner in Chief because I met him. All right, I I interviewed Sidney Gottlieb. I'm jealous. For uh, the better part of a day, he lived in rural Virginia, and I didn't even know. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of <laughs> dark people, mm. uh, you know, because I investigated the Kennedy assassination, and and I was looking into this whole horrible realm of mind control at the time, and. He agreed to see me, and it was last years of his life. And what was really fascinating was that, um, you know, he had he had changed. I mean, in retire, he wasn't willing to tell me everything. That's for sure. But I'm sure there was still a lot that he was obfuscating, right? But here, the guy became a Zen Buddhist. He started a biodynamic farm. You know, the kind of the the, the philosophy of the the great Rudolf Steiner philosopher. And and he lived communally for a while. I mean, he had. I'd have to say I give him credit. You know, I mean, he he was a a very changed person, which is interesting too because you know he started off when he was first at CIA taking a lot of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. I mean, he took LSD himself, and then used it in a pretty bad way. You know, as the CIA did uh, with these uh, drugging unsuspecting people and so on, but. It was one of the more interesting interviews I, I ever did, uh, was, was spending that day with him. And, and he wouldn't, um, all he did was he raised the hypothetical with me. Mm. I wrote about this in, in um, one of my books on the trail of JFK Assassins. And uh, he, he raised the possibility that Oswald could have, you know, been manipulated through hypnosis or whatever to assassinate JFK if, uh, <clears throat> you know, if, if, if he already had proclivity toward that. So... Uh, and we, and I think he also knew that, um, and I'd interviewed some pretty well-known people in the world of hypnosis that, that uh, the likelihood was that Sirhan, you know, could have been one of these people, and, and this had emanated from what the CIA did, not that Gottlieb did it himself, but you sure. know, anyway, that it, there was a possibility. Yeah, I guess the only good thing is, is once it moves from greedy oil guys to the face of pure evil it kind of implies that there has to also be good because it's so evil it's so almost comically evil like twiddling the mustache like we're gonna operate on children and make them shoot people it's like it's almost like a poorly written like comic book villain it then starts to force you to believe well there also must exist something else so far on the other end of the spectrum of just white knighthood or you know chivalry or an, an angel in human form and does doesn't yeah i would agree with that and and uh so you always gotta i mean i've, I've been in at times in my life when i was looking into all that stuff that you know i, I finally had to just get away from it. oh it'll I mean, break you 
it was it was really dark and 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 it was affecting me internally because it was suddenly wow satanic ritual abuse and, yeah. you know horrible stuff yeah. and so I, I got away from it and i've never really returned to it in an investigative way instead i kind of this might this is just talking about myself but you know i i, I took up subjects like uh let's save the gray whales you know from yeah. uh from an industrial salt works in, in Baja, California, that's going to threaten the habitat where they give their have come to have their young every year. Yeah. But somehow these whales are coming up to us, you know, in a small boat on this same lagoon, a hundred years after they were almost hunted to extinction there. And maybe they got a message for us. Mm. And let's make sure that we protect that species. And then I traveled all the way, followed their migration all the way to Russia. So I moved, you know, from the kinds of things we're talking about to, I guess, well, to certainly positive things that were happening that, you know, people were coming together and working on, including Robert Kennedy Jr., who I got to know during that fight, uh, that could actually make a difference, you know, and, and that was successful. The, uh, the salt works got stopped. I've been involved in a campaign to save a fish, the Atlantic striped bass, with a bunch of my friends who were summer fishermen, and hey, we did it, you know, we shut down the fishery for a few years and the fish came back. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that I hope that the younger generation, you know, will, will realize and, and, and take up in ways that, because uh, we've got so many problems on this planet now, and, and uh, but I'm encouraged by, I did a, uh, a book on climate change and, and the, how the big oil companies covered everything up, right, since they, they've known about this for 30, 40 years, they're scientists, and they just buried it, ExxonMobil, for example. But now, you know, you've got these lawsuits that are that are happening where kids in school are saying, you know, I am being denied my right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by the policies that are still going on. And we've got to do something about this. And so, you know, their voices are being heard. And young people like Greta Thunberg, it becomes world famous, right, for her campaigns on that. So that's my hope of the future. And that's light stuff. You know, that's yeah. like you've got to fight the forces, but there's possibilities of of real change happen. Well, it's also a way to keep your sanity. Exactly. Uh, you gotta, it doesn't mean that you ignore the evil stuff, but it's, t take a fight you can handle. Right? Yeah. yeah. Take, right. take, take a fight you can handle. Be like, all right, we do need to deal with that. We do need to deal with the people using LSD on children to kill people. For now though, you're like, I'm going to tackle this. And yeah. that's how you make real change. You don't, really make real change by looking at the worst thing and going we're going directly for the heart it really doesn't you know makes for a good movie but that's not really how it works uh what you're saying yeah another book uh the franklin scandal by nick bryant i mean you get into real satanic ritual another thing like you say it out loud on the podcast you can almost feel people like oh, tommy don't go that way but like satanic yeah. ritual abuse man nick bryant isn't a that's not like uh it's not like a fantastical, like, oh, it's that's a pretty cut and dry. I think he was a reporter for the BBC for like 20 years. Man, mm. that that book about satanic ritual abuse, that's not, it's not colorful. It's it's very cut and dry. And it's, you, you read the book and you, you, you pause every once in a while and you're like, what in God's name, like here in the United States, like 40 years ago, like you think you're learning about like Salem witch trials. But you're yeah. you're reading about what they call they called it power meetings, and it was where this girl is like recollecting these guys who had, they had like they had like gold necklaces with like the faces of demons on them, and they would like 
rape these kids and like slit throats and you're reading it and you're like what am i what am i uh-huh. even it, it it it's it's the heart it it's it's just a it's a it's the black eyes of of death and it's yeah. it's hard to look at but you also there is a there is a burden of once you know about it you have to do something about it and i think back to the comedian tim dillon i found out about this through tim dillon he interviewed nick bryant years and years ago and Mm. they get to the end and they're like so what do you realistically do yeah and he goes well the first thing you do with the disease is or we go back to you know alcoholics anonymous he goes the first thing you do is you diagnose it and you go we have a problem that's the very first thing you do he's like i don't claim to know how we remove the military industrial complex and everything that goes with it but at the very least we have to start identifying it and yeah and then, yeah. And then putting real resources into it you know yeah. like the, the in the pandemic uh i mean 500 new billionaires were created and yeah. the middle class pretty much disappeared and you know all of these towns have you know they boarded up their storefronts and especially in the poorer communities and, and uh, they've never reopened, you know? So, I mean, I see it all the time, even just in my neighborhood, West Hollywood. I mean, uh, a lot of places just, just shut down. That was it. And, and unnecessarily, I think, you know, I don't think those lockdowns were necessary in, in the way that they happened, but neither, neither here nor there, but I mean, I'm saying that there's, there's resources that you could put into, which I also think Robert Kennedy Jr. would do, you know, he's talked about that a lot. To revitalize the middle class in this country, and uh, you know, put money into uh, uh, like if you if you legalized marijuana at a federal level, this is just a, a popped into my head example. But but he's mentioned it. You know, you could take that that money, you know, the tax money, and and put that into you know real centers for kids to go to have uh, uh, not just rehabilitation, but the community gatherings and. And uh, the lack of community, I think, is so big. You know, it's it's um, we're so so you know split now in the country that um, and and so material that you know people people coming together to fight for things is almost an unnatural cause. But yeah. uh, in in many cases, and not, not across the across the board, but I think the sense of of community is vital, and that uh, that also is something that that Bobby's candidacy points points toward. Um, I guess in the last couple of minutes, is there anything you could could maybe enlighten me or my audience about 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 Bobby that we haven't touched on already? You know, I think that uh, what I really admire about him is is his his moral courage, his ability to uh, to take risks, and even to have to accept you know the the uh, the fact that many of his family members have turned against him or feel like he's wrong, I should say, you know, for taking the stances he has on public health and, and uh, uh, calling for safe vaccines, which he's not an anti-vaxxer per se. His kids are vaccinated. He's been through years of being vaccinated himself. He didn't do the COVID vaccine himself, but he had reasons which were he didn't feel they'd been safely tested. So on that front, and also on the fact that he would do things like go to visit Sirhan in prison, ooh, that really you know, hurts a lot of people in his family. They don't feel that's right. But, you know, he knows that, and it's not that it doesn't affect him, but he's will, he still feels like he's got to 
he's got to go out there and, and fight for the truth of, of what he sees has to happen. And um, so I guess that, you know, that's one thing I'd like people to know about him is that he, he uh, embodies that moral courage that, that his father spoke about. And in a sense, you know, I mean, it's, it's his legacy, you know, mm. and uh, he's always been the one of all those Kennedy, Robert Kennedy siblings that, that was always looked to as, oh, this guy, you know, he could he could be our political leader sometime. He used to organize these amazing river trips, right, in South, South America. So he's a really good organizer, and he's he studies how to do things. I mean, he studied a, a lot of the science, and, you know, behind the, uh, the you know, what, what the vaccination issue uh, and public health in general, and pointed out that our chronic health, uh, uh, we're, we're in a situation in the country where chronic diseases have risen more than 50% in the last 20, 30 years. And he's, he's talked publicly and said, that's what I want to do something about. And it really affects him when kids, uh, when we have now a one in 30, if not more, rate of autism in children in our country. When he was growing up, it was one in 10,000, if that. So, you know, he's, uh, he's fighting for the people here. And, uh, I hope I hope more and more people come to realize it, and I hope that they can buy my book, The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior, and and uh, learn more about him so that they can make an educated choice uh, when it comes to voting. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It is in the description. It's on Audible. You truly have no excuse. You can turn on and do laundry. There's no uh, the 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 impetus is the, you, there's no one to blame. You gotta listen to it. Um, it's it's won me. I think the I think the interview with Joe Rogan pretty much won me over. But this has won me over even more. And um, Mr. Russell, it's been an honor having you on, and I look forward to chatting you uh, chatting with you again sometime. Yeah, Tommy. Hey, I've really enjoyed it. I'm you're you're well read. I mean, you're you're fighting for uh, for the same things. And, and uh, your generation, you know, that's what your generation's got to do, man. And so, more power to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Again, please go into the description. Please go grab the book, listen to it, you know, read about Bobby. And, you know, if you don't like him, you know, at least at least have a reason for why you don't like him. Don't just take a headline from the news that says he's a bad guy. Go in and learn about him. And, yeah, I think you'll be hard-pressed to, to truly dislike the man. But um, do your research. And, Mr. Russell, thank you so much, sir. And, guys, thank you so much for watching. Recording stopped. Take care, everybody. God bless. Peace.